It's Christmas, and as you all know, we celebrate Christmas because God sent His Son into the world, that God came into the world to be with us. This is a message that many of you have probably heard on many of occasions, repeatedly, rightly so, because it's the greatest gift that was ever given, that ever will be given. In our passage, that really is reminiscent of Christmas, our passage from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 23, our passage goes into God sending His Son. And it concludes by telling us that God is with us. But I'd like to offer a question before we read the passage for you to reflect upon. And the question is this. What does it mean that God is with us? What does it mean that God is with us? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen. God sends his son into the world. God comes into the world in such an auspicious way, in an unexpected way, in a scandalous way. And Joseph is instructed to not be afraid to take Mary as his wife because she hasn't been unfaithful to him. Instead, the child she's carrying is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, his, he's instructed to the name that he is to call. And this is the fulfillment of the prophet when it says that a virgin will conceive and bear a son. And his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. What does it mean that God is with us? We can talk about that in kind of metaphoric terms, literal terms. We can talk about it in many different ways. But to understand this, I think it's important to ask the question, what does it mean that God is with us? Or put a different way, how is God with us? How? There are three things in our passage that, or the passages that we're going to highlight because this is more of a topical sermon. 
But there are three things that answer this question that I want to really examine. And the first of these is that God came to us to be with us. God came to us to be with us. And this really occurs in three specific ways. God came to us in the Son, Jesus Christ, as our passage here indicates. You see, God was in the world before, obviously, Jesus came into it. But God's relationship with humanity was very different before Jesus came. God in Scripture is denoted as coming upon uh, anointing particular individuals. But you don't see God coming to people and having the kind of relationship that is personal, that is communal, that is as deep and familiar as we see Jesus having. Not only with His disciples and His followers, but all those that were around Him. Before Jesus, God was in and around the world and He was known in the world in a vague way. But God came into the world in the person of His Son, the Son, to be with us so that God would be made known to us. And this is the very thing that occurs on that night. That God was born into this world in such an unexpected, auspicious, and scandalous way, and yet, as unexpected as it was, God literally came in the flesh. God who is spirit literally came in the flesh. For what purpose? To actually be with us. As we are people of physical bodies, God bridged the gap. And met us where we were, where we are, as physical beings. We're not obviously just physical beings. But He met us there, became flesh to be with us, among us, literally. And so we, on this day, remember and celebrate, and in this season, remember and celebrate that God came to be with us. In the flesh. That is no, by no means a small thing. That is by no means an insignificant thing. It is the greatest, most shocking thing in all of history. And so yes, God came to us in the Son. But it doesn't end there. When we talk about God came to us to be with us, Jesus, as He is preparing to leave His disciples, all of His followers who have lived with Him, eaten with Him, been with Him and talked with Him and you know, communed with Him, fellowshiped with Him, Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 26-27, to 27, He says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me and you will also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Here Jesus, as He is preparing to depart from His disciples, as He is preparing to go to the cross and then die and resurrect and then ascend to the Father to be with the Father, says, but as I go, I'm going to send another. I'm going to send the Helper, the Spirit, to be with you. The Spirit. We often talk about God with us from the standpoint of God 
the Son. But when God said that He has come to be with us, He didn't come just to be with us during that short stint of 30-some-odd years. But instead, beyond that. So even as Jesus was departing, He said, I will send My Spirit to be with you. This is the same Spirit that is at work and alive in every believer, in every genuine believer in Jesus. This is the same Jesus when he talks about the Spirit coming. This is the same Spirit that is made available to us all. Keep in mind, the original Jesus came as a Jew. All of the original disciples were Jews. All of the original followers were Jews. All of the first believers were Jews. And yet, as Jesus was going, He did not limit His church. He did not limit His fellowship to whom He would be with to simply those, thankfully. Which is why we're proof of that. In Acts chapter 10, verses 44-48, to Peter is proclaiming Jesus to a bunch of Gentiles. In verse 44, it says this, While Peter was still saying these things, preaching to them, the Holy Spirit fell on them who heard the Word. And, they, and the believers from among the circumcised, those would be the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain remain for some days. Then Peter, in giving a report to the church board and leadership in Jerusalem, in chapter 11, verse 15, it says, uh, as Peter is giving this account, he says in verse 15, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. If then, God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen? Amen? The boundaries that were kept were boundaries that often were established or rigid because human beings have a natural kind of bias against others who are different. And yet, God doesn't. And He breaks down that wall between ethnicity, language, and culture to include people like you and me. God is with us. And He has been with His church every generation since. But the third thing is that God will come to us again in the Son. Even as the Holy Spirit is with us and among us, among His church to be with us, Jesus says that He will return. In fact, He talks about this through in the Gospels and then in the final book of Scripture, in the last chapter, 
At the, be- at the very end of the last chapter of the last book of Scripture, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. It speaks of the fact that God, in His infinite plan and His purpose and design, His intention was to be with His people forevermore. We'll get to that in a little bit. But His purpose is to be with His people, to be with us. So He came to be with us. The second thing that I want us to see, all of these things relating to the first point, the second thing that I want us to see is that God walks with us and took our place. God walks with us and took our place. I want to make a statement that everybody needs to hear. It's this. Our God is not a God that sympathizes with us, but instead, our God is a God that empathizes with us. How does empathy differ from sympathy? I've heard it this way. Empathy fuels connection, while sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy fuels connection while sympathy drives disconnection. You know, when you're walking through the dark valley, and in all of our lives, I want you to take a moment just to think about the valleys, the dark valleys of your life that you've lived. Can you remember some of them right now? Think about some of the valleys that you've walked, the times and instances in your life where it was pretty dark. Do you remember? Yes? Can you recount? I want you to take a moment just to think about some of those moments. In the places where it's darkest, where it hurts the most, sympathy often comes along, looks down into the valley from maybe some higher point and says, wow, it sure looks dark down there. Let me know if I can pray for you, though. Sympathy has this quality of looking down into the valley from a distance and saying, hey, you know, it seems like you're really hurting there. It seems like it's pretty dark and it's pretty lonely there. Like it really sucks. That's too bad. I'm sorry that you're going through that. Empathy climbs down into the valley, walks alongside next to the person, and says, wow, it is pretty dark down here, but you're not alone. I don't know what else I can say or do, but I'll be with you, because you're not alone. Often is the case is that what people give others in their dark valleys is sympathy. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you can see, you know, they can see you, but they're not really with you. And that sympathy only makes you feel all the more alone. You know what I'm talking about? Because they're not there. Empathy... It feels connection because it's a feeling, it's feeling with people. It's not a feeling about how they feel, but it's feeling with people. Empathy is a choice, a vulnerable one at that. 
Normally it's a choice that requires a certain sacrifice of vulnerability because you have to go and get in touch with experiences and emotions that help you be familiar with where they're at. That's neither easy nor pleasant. You know what I'm talking about? Empathy's not easy, it's hard. Because you have to go into spaces you'd rather not. Because that's where they are. You know, the thing about often in life, including the church, is, you know, there's often, when people are in the valley, a lot of judgment about why they're there, how they got there, and what they're doing there. Or maybe when you're there, that's what you've been experiencing. I'm not saying that there's not some sense of judgment from the standpoint of accountability in the church. But often is the case is that what often lacks that would drive connection and relationship is the empathy that allows for accountability to have purposefulness and an impact. You can't have accountability and you can't have relationship and connection if you're not with people. Empathy is a choice. What did God do? Our God has the greatest empathy. Because not only did He walk, not only has He walked with us in our darkness, but He took our place. In the midst of our sin and pain, Jesus brings about healing through connection with Him. That's the thing that I think we have to emphasize. It's not just forgiveness and healing you know, because of Him or because of simply what He did. It's connection and healing in Him, through Him, with Him, in relationship. It's hard to be empathetic. But when you think about how empathetic our God is, beyond empathetic, it speaks to His greatness. When we say that God walks with us, it means that God is in relationship with us. And that we are in relationship with Him. Let me say that again. When we say that God walks with us, when it is said in Scripture that God walks with us, came to be with us, then it means that He is in relationship with us and we are in relationship with Him. This brings me to the third and final point. It's that God is in, with us in perpetuity. I know that's kind of a big word, but I just like it. Perpetuity meaning ongoing, without end. Not ceasing. Eternally. Forevermore. God is with us in perpetuity. If you look at the way that God relates to human beings and what He is aiming for, what His purpose is, and what He does with His people, we see constantly, time and time again, that God is making the intentional purpose and plan and work, even as He suffers for it, to have relationship with us, to be with us. He sends His Son into the world to be with us, even when we did not recognize Him while we were still His enemies. Even as He is about to be crucified, He says, I'm going to send my Spirit to be with you. 
And so even as He ascends, He sends His Spirit to be with us so that we will never be alone. And even as we have His Spirit to be with us forevermore, Jesus says, I'm coming back. I will come soon. I will return to be with you and to bring heaven into earth in completion forevermore. All we see time and time again is God's purpose and longing to be with us. It makes me think about Do we have the desire to be with Him? Do we have that kind of intentionality to be with Him? To long to have fellowship with Him, relationship with Him, to value it on those terms, to really pursue it. God is with us in perpetuity. How are we with God? To each of you I ask, how are you with God? Because given how much God has worked in all of history to be with us, that for all of us who say we have known this love, received this love, and are changed by this love, how we are with God, doesn't that matter? Doesn't that matter more as a defining thing than anything else? Amen? God is with us. You know, the kind of empathy that God has shown. Do you have that kind of empathy for others? Certainly, I'm guessing none of us have the kind of empathy Christ has. Amen? But sure as heck, that gives us a point to eternally aim for. Not to throw up our hands and say, Woo, the bar's high. Not going to even try. If you have received such love, such grace, For those who have been loved that way, received that kind of grace, isn't it the inspiration to aim for that bar forevermore, to get as close to it, no matter how many times you fall short, amen? And to get just a bit closer and a bit closer with every passing season? Have empathy. To walk with each other. And I'm going to say this, if you happen to be in that dark place, then let people walk with you. Be available. You know, the hardest thing I think that the most destructive thing we can do to ourselves when we're feeling alone is when we wallow in our self-misery, self-pity. Because we know we're not in a good place. We cut ourselves off. We isolate ourselves. And anybody that wants to come alongside of us We say, well, the hole is not wide enough for you. If we're in that dark place, if you're in that dark place, the best thing that you could do is to be available and allow people to come walk next to you. Even as Jesus looks to do the same in your life. Amen? But that is a choice that you make actively, not passively. Being available is something you do to make sure that you are in every opportunity to receive all that empathy that anybody else wants to give. And for everybody who sees somebody hurting, sees somebody struggling, sees somebody in a cold, dark place and maybe they're not quite feeling, rather than simply passing judgment, and calling it accountability. Empathy that leads to accountability is the one that says, hey, let me see where you are. Let me 
come next to you. Let me stand with you. Let me walk with you. And as you feel all alone, let me show you that you're not all alone. Amen? So whether in the groups that we meet in, the opportunities we have to fellowship together, whatever it is, when we talk about being church family and we're bound together in the blood of Christ, that's action. That's life. And that's something that we've been blessed to receive if you're in Jesus, that God is with you, with us. And even if you don't, let me just say, God came so that he could be with you. And if you have not yet received him, then this is the perfect opportunity for you to say, I've been alone. I've been in that dark place, Jesus. They're alone and I don't want to be alone anymore. As you look, as you're down here in the valleys, help me to turn around and take your hand. If that's you, I invite you to offer up a prayer of confession. Confessing that you need him. Confessing your faith in him. Because you know what faith is? It's confessing to Jesus that you believe he is the one who is the only one who is able to enter into that space and pull you out by virtue of his work, his death, and resurrection. His death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave to raise you up. To believe that, to confess that. Our God is with us. So this is that statement that I want to really have you reflecting on, ringing in your mind, in your heads, in your hearts. Our God is with us. Our God is with us. Living in the reality of God's presence with us is living with gratitude for His work in the past. Recognizing all that we are grateful for, for what we have received because He died on that cross, because He rose from the grave. All that He has done in the past, being forever grateful, living with purpose in the present. After all, our faith is a living faith in a living God. Amen? So living faith in a living God is all about how we live, not yesterday and not tomorrow, but today in the here and now. Living with purpose in the present, in the name of Jesus, and living with confidence of His fulfilled promises in the future. Living with confidence of His fulfilled promises in the future. You know, when you know God's promises will be fulfilled because God always keeps His promises, then that's all you need to know about the future so that you can live in the present today. Amen? God with us transforms us more and more into His likeness. That's what God with us does. I leave you with a poem that has always been one of one of my favorites, or, and uh, you know, I want to share it with each of you as a reflection and a thought. It's called Footprints. 
One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there, were, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of his life. This really bothered him. And he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there is only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, My precious, precious child, I love you, and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, I'll be with you to the end of the age. May his presence impact you, us, the way it should because he is alive among us, in us. God with us. Lord, we thank you.